Good morning. We uh, are excited about uh, this new series that we started last week, uh, a mini-series called Gospel Conversations. Uh, if you were here last week, you realize I introduced something, um, uh, the three circles as a conversational and relational way of presenting the gospel, of sharing the gospel with others. And I spent most of our time last week talking about God's design for our lives, and I said that God has a design for every aspect of our lives, from our relationship with others to our relationship with God and everything in between. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a, at a place that we know all too well, and that's the place of brokenness. And uh, most of us can relate to that word. And as we unpack the, the scriptures this morning, most uh, of what I have to share is going to come right out of uh, the book of Genesis, chapters 2, in particular chapter 3. So I hope you brought your Bibles this morning, because a lot of the scripture will not be on the screen. But let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to look to your word, to learn from you, to learn about you, to grow in our understanding of who you are and what you require of us. And Lord God, we just pray um, that as you reveal to us um, our brokenness and where it stems from, um, that you would also reveal to us the solution that we might walk in newness of life. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher and our guide here this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you uh, uh, realize it, but when it, it, it comes to God's design, when you depart from God's design, it always leads to brokenness. It's not a maybe, could be, it always leads to brokenness. God has a design for our life. And as long as we operate according to that design, things go well. But when we deviate from it, that's when we end up in brokenness. And I don't know if you realize some of these statistics or not, but I thought I'd share some of them with you because today in America, 40% of all children live in single-parent homes. More than 600,000 children have been removed from their homes due to abuse and neglect and placed in foster care. And it's estimated that there are 20 million people who are ensnared in some kind of addiction. And then, of course, police departments report over 3,000 violent crimes a day. There's a lot of crime in our country, but 3,000 violent crimes a day. And then I just got to, you know, be thinking off the top of my head some of the other issues and problems, evidences of brokenness that we have in our, in our country. We've got an out-of-control border crisis. We've got more than a half million people living on the streets in the United States of America. We have a woke education system that usurps uh, parental authority. There's mass distrust of government, of politicians, and the so-called experts. The economy is a disaster. And I'm, I do more shopping than I care to. And I, even I can see the prices continuing to go up. And we have biological men competing in women's sports. 
Those are just some of the indicators of brokenness. And you don't have to look far to realize that, you know, our world is broken. I've heard it said that in many ways our nation is a Humpty Dumpty nation. We have fallen, we're broken, and we have no clue how to put the pieces back together again. And I think in a lot of ways, our attempts to fix the problem have actually made it worse. I mean, just consider, can, can, can consider uh, the way that we approach trying to solve problems. You know, first you have, you know, defund the police. Then after you realize that doesn't work, then you have refund the police. We promote uh, inclusivity and tolerance. Then we ban and censor those whom we disagree with. We provide health care for illegal immigrants, then fail to care for our own. We ban guns and kill babies. We promote immorality, gambling, recreational drug use, and then we have to provide mental health services and recovery programs because they have addictions. I mean, when you think about it, we are morally schizophrenic. And we just kind of go back and back and forth. And the reason, I think, is quite obvious, and I've stated it already, we have all chosen to depart from God's design for our lives. That's what happens when you deviate from God's design. And it's been true ever since the beginning. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. Of course, you have to read chapter 2 before you get to chapter 3 and understand it, but, but from right there in the beginning... God told Adam and Eve, things will go well for you if you obey, but if you don't, things are going to go very, very bad. And Adam and Eve departed from God's design. They thought they knew what was best for themselves. But we're all guilty of that. Now, we've inherited Adam's sinful nature. We are by nature uh, alienated from God. But each of us make daily choices that depart from God's design. Uh, the, the prophet Isaiah writes in, in chapter 53, he says, all of us, like sheep, and you have to almost meditate on that for a minute because you know sheep aren't too smart, but all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. That's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. And the Bible has a word for going your own way and doing your own thing, and that's the word sin. And the apostle Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 3 that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, not a single exception to the rule. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard, of God's design for our lives. And when you think about sin, you know, in our culture, a lot of people just dismiss it. You know, they, they don't think there is such a thing as sin. Even within the church, a lot of people don't really understand what sin is. Sin is lawlessness, it's rebellion against God and his authority for our lives. Think about God has his, his design for our lives. We don't like that design, so we try our own thing. We're rebelling against his authority in our life. And when you think about it, it's really foolish you know, to, to deviate, to turn from God's design for our lives. I mean, we don't do that typically 
uh, in matters of everyday life without there being serious consequences. My son just told me the other day that he's thinking about building a computer. He says, he says it's cheaper to, to do that, to buy the parts and you know, put it together. And, and I'm thinking, boy, you better read the instruction manual. You know, you better buy good parts to begin with, and then you better study that thing because if you, if you don't do that, you don't follow the instructions, right? You're going to have an expensive mess on your hands. And you know what? God has an instruction manual for us. It's called the Bible. And we would do well to look to it and study it and learn it and follow the instructions contained within it. Life just doesn't work right when we ignore God's word and his design for our lives. And departing from God's design, as I mentioned, always leads to brokenness. And we all experience it. It comes in different shapes and sizes. Life is full of brokenness. We experience broken relationships, um, broken promises, broken expectations, We experience it when we suffer heartache and pain, when we encounter um, loneliness and loss. We find that we're broken when we struggle with addictions, when we struggle with depression, and especially when we feel guilt and shame. And our brokenness is apparent in, in many ways. And I'm just going to mention a few ways here, but we, we see it in our relationship with God. Now again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Prophet Ezekiel quotes the Lord in saying that the soul that sins will surely die. But back in Genesis, he says, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, we know that Adam went on to live many, many more years after that. So what that particular verse is referring to is spiritual death, separation from God, now, it also includes physical death. We'll get to that in, in a minute. But, but because of Adam's first sin, we experience both physical and spiritual death. Spiritual death is, is a brokenness of our relationship with God. We were meant to, to be in relationship with God, and because of sin, we are now separated from God. That unbroken communion has now been broken. And as a result, we experience guilt and shame and even fear. Look at chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, this is after they sin now. It says that they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? As if God didn't know. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. 
and I hid myself. And you know how the Lord responded. <laughs> Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? Mm-hmm. So you see that right here, because of sin, guilt and, and shame and fear are all intertwined. Now when Adam hears God walking in the garden, fear strikes his heart. He has to hide from God. Why? Because he knows what he's done is wrong. And rather than face God, he thinks he can hide from God. And if there's one thing I've learned in my life, you can't hide from God. You cannot hide from the Lord. And, and if you read down even a little bit further, verses 13 through 15, you then discover that not only is our relationship broken with God, but we now have entered into a spiritual war with Satan for our souls. He is now waging war with us, the offspring of Adam and Eve. But not only do we see the brokenness in our relationship with God, we also see brokenness in our relationship with one another, especially in the context of marriage. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, Then, after they sinned, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. See, before they, they didn't know what naked was. They just were naked. And they were not ashamed, the scripture says. But now there became an awareness that, whoa, hey, wow, I'm naked. You're naked. And what does it say? It says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, now guilt and shame has caused them to hide their bodies from one another. And what they were really doing is hiding themselves by hiding their bodies from one another. And they not only did that, they then began the blame game, right? Adam, you know, where are you? Lord, I was hiding, you know. Oh, did you eat from there? Yeah, I did, yeah. But it's not my fault. It's her fault. The woman you gave me, so it's really your fault, God. You gave me her, and she made me eat, right? And then, of course, God turns to the woman, and the woman says, the serpent, he made me. So they began this, this blame game. But it, but it doesn't end there. You go down to verse 16. We read, your desire, speaking to the woman, shall be contrary to your husband. Some of your translations would say, your desire may be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. I like the New Living Translation here. I think it's, it's accurate in its rendering. It says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. See, God intended a husband and a wife to live together in harmony, using their gifts and their strengths for the good of each other. But instead, now we have conflict and confusion over the roles of a husband and wife in marriage. Now, rather than a, than a man exercising loving headship and the wife joyful submission, husbands and wives now try to dominate and control each other. Women have their own unique way of doing it. They, they're good emotional manip manipulators. Guys, because of their, their increased physical strength, tend to intimidate and bully women and abuse women. 
And so what you see is God's design has been just tainted by sin. It's been warped from its original design. And folks, if there is conflict and disharmony in the marital relationship, then don't you think you would expect to see conflict and disharmony in other relationships that aren't even as close as that? So we see it in our relationships with others. We experience this brokenness in our work and in our world. Look at verse 17 and following. It says, talking to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now last week I mentioned that work is a gift from God. It's, it's a blessing to us. But because of sin, work has now become a lot harder than it needed to be. And we have to work a lot harder by the sweat of our brow, backbreaking work sometimes in order to provide what would have come more easily had sin not entered into the world. And now we're, we're told all creation suffers as a result of Adam's sin. God cursed the ground because of him. So we experience it in the world, we experience it in work, but we also experience it in our very own bodies. You see that there in verse 16. We see it in regard to childbearing. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. This is... This is dangerous territory here because I'm thinking any, anybody here who's had a baby, right, is, is thinking, oh, it's my husband's fault. You know, it's Adam's fault. If it wasn't, I mean, if this didn't happen, well, you know, you got to bring Eve into the picture too. But, but the problem here is, is that there was always pain. Pain would always be involved. Pain is not necessarily a bad thing. When you put your hand in the fire and you feel that sensation, you know, the reaction ought to be to pull your hand out of the fire. Pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. But here we're told that the pain of childbirth would be greatly increased. Much more difficult than it should have been. But we also see it in our, in our bodies through physical death, which I mentioned before. Back in uh, verse 19, the last part of it, it says, you know, for you are but dust. Remember, that's how Adam was created. And he says, and to dust you shall return. There, when sin entered the world, it affected every aspect of life, including our physical life. So now we die. We get sick and we die. Um, I remember a while back reading um, how medical science, how, how, how doctors, after studying the human body for so long, they not only marvel at how the human body is made, but they said in many ways it's designed to live forever, except for a tiny flaw in each individual cell, 
which we now know accounts for the aging process. It's just an amazing thing that God put us together. Adam lived for hundreds of years. But as man continued to flourish and sin continued uh, to seep into the sewer stream of life, life expectancies began to decrease. Praise God for modern medicine and technology that is able to prolong life today, but it's all in evidence of sin and brokenness. God had warned Adam that the day that he eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the day that he would die. But I need you to put yourself in Adam's shoes. He had no point of reference for that. Die? What does die mean? He had never seen death didn't have a clue as to what it was. All he knew, it wasn't good. He didn't know until verse 21, chapter 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, God in his mercy cared for Adam and Eve by providing animal skins for them to wear. Fig leaves just wouldn't do it. And as far as we know, Adam and Eve had never seen um, a, a, a dead creature before, a dead animal. So imagine how they must have felt when God comes and presents to them these animal skins. You talk about an object lesson. Adam had spent a lot of his time naming the animals, remember? Maybe he knew this particular animal that was sacrificed for him and for his wife. See, the price for their sin was the life of another of God's creatures. I think God was trying to impress on them how terrible sin is, how costly sin is. I like what Billy Graham said. He said, we are fallen creatures living, living in a fallen world that has been twisted and corrupted by sin, and we all share in its brokenness. Most of all, we share in its tragic legacy of disease and death. That's what sin has done. Now, brokenness is, is a terrible thing, but, but brokenness can, can be helpful to us. Brokenness can alert us to the need for change. Now, when we experience brokenness, it, it should tell us something's wrong. Troy and I, we had a conversation yesterday, remember, talking about how just some people just have a high tolerance for misery. You know, things that we look at and you go, you know what, <laughs> if, if, if you're doing this and these are the results you're getting, uh, perhaps maybe you ought to try something else. And some people just don't see it, don't feel it, don't get it, and, and it takes a long time. And, and, and so, you know, when I think about 
things that are going wrong. You know, for instance, I, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out, you know, you've been married five times. Maybe there's a clue you're doing something wrong. You know, if, if uh, you know, you're, you're investing money, you know, and you've put $10,000 into your IRA or whatever it was, and you're in the hole, negative five, maybe something needs to change. See, that's what brokenness can do. It can alert us to our need for change. Now, initially, we may try to hide it. We may try to cover it up, just like Adam and Eve did. As we've already seen, though, that doesn't work. You can't hide from God. Scripture says that be sure your sin will find you out. There's, there's, some, there's something about it. I mean, that's one of the, the things I remember growing up and uh, you know, disobeying my parents, doing things that I shouldn't do. And uh, my greatest fear was just being found out. I was, I was always thinking, I had to add lie upon lie upon lie to cover up the first lie that I made. And then it just got confusing. And I couldn't remember where am I in my great scheme of lying here. Be sure your sin will find you out. So if we try hiding and we try covering up and that doesn't work, we then may try to fix our personal brokenness by pursuing a variety of things. We might pursue wealth in hopes that we can buy enough stuff to make us happy and to soothe the pain. Perhaps we'll pursue relationships or sexual pleasures. Sometimes we'll pursue power or position. And other times we just choose to self-medicate. We want to numb the pain. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to have to even think about it. But the more that, that we try to fix our problem, the, 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 the more broken we feel. Some of us try to become a better person. You know, try, we try to be religious. I'm going to commit myself to going to church, doing Bible study, this, that, and the other thing. But we, at the end of the day, we realize none of those things solves our sin problem. None of it helps remove us from our brokenness. And just as a leopard can't change his spots, so too we cannot change ourselves from being broken sinners. We can't do anything about our condition. Um, I don't usually uh, like to quote rappers in my um, sermon, but Lecrae said that you've got to admit you're broken before you can be made whole. That's pretty smart. You know, you've got to admit that you're broken. If you don't admit you're broken, you're not going to be looking for a solution. So brokenness alerts us to the needs for change, and brokenness can make us hungry for some good news. And the Bible has a word for that. It's the word gospel. It simply means good news. And when you read the scriptures, what you discover is that, the, the, that God loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us in our brokenness, so he devised the solution to rescue us from our sin and brokenness. And that solution was sending his own son to live a perfect life on this earth. He came from heaven to earth for us. He came unto his own for us to live a perfect life. He never departed from God's design, not once, never sinned, not once. And the Bible says that he came for one solitary purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to redeem us from the curse of the law, 
The, he came to save us from our sin and from our brokenness. And the Bible says that God took the sins of the world, placed it upon his son, and then he was crucified on a cross. He died the death that we deserved for our rebellion, for our sin against God. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death and making it possible for you and me to be brought back into relationship with God. In a sense, to be recreated in his image, to have that image of God in us restored. That's the essence of the gospel. But just merely hearing that isn't enough. We have to respond to it. We have to, by an act of our own will, choose to repent and believe the gospel. And last week I talked about what each of these things meant. You know, repent, repentance, simply a change of heart, a change of mind. You're, you're turning around from the direction that you're pursuing and you're turning back to God and you say, God, I want to follow you. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go your way. And when we believe in Christ, the scripture basically says that that means we, we place our faith and our trust in him and in what he has done for us to save us. We're not trusting in ourselves, our own righteousness, our own goodness, or anything other than Christ's redemptive work on the cross. That's what it means to believe. You see, the real change that we need comes from Jesus and what he has done for us. And when we repent and believe, the Bible says God sends his spirit to live within us, to empower us to live for him. And then we are able to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. I love what has been attributed to St. Augustine, something that he said. He said, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. See, that's what brokenness can do if we allow it to do for us those things, to alert us to our need and to make us hungry for some good news. So as I close this morning, we may, in fact, be a Humpty Dumpty nation. But as I've said, there's good news. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be made right again. Our lives can be put back together again. If we turn from our sin in humble repentance and turn to God, repent and believe in him, believe the gospel we can recover and pursue God's purpose and design for our lives. And part of that design is that God wants to use you and me to help lead other broken people to the Lord, to share the good news of the gospel with them so that they in turn might repent and believe and recover and pursue God's design for their life. So as I close this morning, I just want to ask two questions. If, if you have not yet repented of your sins and believed the gospel, would you be willing to do that this morning?
I would love to talk with you and, and pray with you after the service. So I'm going to stay up here. And, and if, you, if God's tugging on your heart and saying, you know what, I've, I've heard this so many times, but I don't think I have ever really repented and truly believed in Jesus. And I want to do that today. I, I, I want to pray with you. I want to be able to rejoice with you after the fact. And for those of you that have repented and have believed, will you commit yourself to sharing the gospel with others? I know that many of you have already made this commitment by choosing to participate in the three circles training that we began last week. Others of you have been a part of Life Group this past week where you've gotten some hands-on training to do that. Uh, We're going to continue to do that over the next couple of weeks. But it starts with a commitment, regardless of where you are, is that, God, I want you to use me to help lead others to you. And uh, despise not the day of small beginnings. Um, you know, we heard this morning how, how God can use just a simple invitation. Hey, come to the men's retreat. Who knows? You just may find Jesus. So come to New Life. Come to Life Group. Come to my house for dinner, whatever. You just might find Jesus. And so let's continue to, to pray that God will use us for the furtherance of his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together here this morning. We thank you for your word, uh, for the reminder of the gospel and what it means and its significance for our lives. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here or anyone watching online who is yet to repent and believe, Lord, that today they might, might surrender themselves to you and to your authority over their lives, that they might be saved, saved from their sin and uh, given the gift of eternal life. And Lord, use the rest of us, we pray, for the furtherance of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.